everyone, and welcome to the show. I'm Alistair Stevens. And I'm Lonnie Diane Rich, and this is Dusted, your Joyce and Ripper shipping Buffy the Vampire Slayer <laughs> podcast. Oh, sure, Jipper. Jipper. That's their shipping name. <laughs> Joyper? Joy, joy Maybe part? something like that. I there's, don't know. There's nothing good. There's nothing that can be found between those two names. Maybe? It's worse if you make it Joyce and Giles because right. that just gets confusing. Joyce and Giles. The shipping name for Joyce and Giles I would be, do. you know, Joyce or Giles, alternatively. I, yeah. No, Joyles. Jo- Joyles. Joyles. I think Joyles might be <laughs> Or Joyce. Yeah, none of these are pleasant <laughs> words. This is the problem no, with shipping none names. of them are. Maybe that's why they didn't get together. So you and I were Lannister. That, which works. Which absolutely works. So. <laughs> I mean, it works in an entirely unpleasant direction. <laughs> Well, not if you think in terms of Tyrion. It's well, okay. we'll talk more about yeah. that on our forthcoming Game of Thrones podcast, which we will get to in, uh, let me check the calendar. Oh, 2025. Forever so from be now. Yes. <laughs> this week on the show, we are discussing band candy. Yes. After some, you know, heavy episodes of late, mm-hmm. this is a hard left turn through the Cactus Patch to Crazy Town. I love it. It is a singular episode of singular tone written by a singular writer. Yes. Jane Espenson. Oh, my goodness. I have been waiting for Jane Espenson to make the scene since we started. Um, I absolutely love her. I fell in love with her when I watched this episode and it got to the point where when I would watch other television shows and I'd look up who wrote it, it was always Jane. (laughs) (laughs) It is true. Even on the greatest shows, her work stands out and she has contributed scripts to some really great genre TV over the last 15 years. Deep Space Nine, Gilmore Girls, Battlestar Galactica. She only did one episode of Deep Space Nine and it is one of my absolute favorite of episodes of that is. entire show. She did one episode of Firefly. My absolute, absolute favorite, favorite she, she episode. She did Shindig yes. of, mm-hmm. of Firefly. Yes. She did a couple for Gilmore Girls. She did five Battlestar Galactica scripts. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Probably yeah. serious contenders for my top five episodes of Battlestar Galactica. She is one of the best writers out there working today. And I absolutely adore her work. Yeah, she's amazing. And we yeah. are going to get a lot of of her. Mm-hmm. She is credited or co-credited on 23 episodes Yay! of Buffy the Vampire Slayer. Mm-hmm. Marty Noxon is credited or or co-credited, excuse me, also on 23 episodes. Joss Whedon credited or co-credited on 24 episodes. Right. Between these three writers, we have far and away the bulk of Buffy the Vampire Slayer. Almost yeah. three full seasons mm-hmm. written by, by Joss, by Marty, and by Jane. Yeah. I cannot wait to get to some of her later episodes. And this, I think, is a singular debut. Oh, absolutely. This is a fan-favorite episode. It is one of those rare episodes in which Buffy takes a self-conscious turn toward comedy. Yes. The only other episode I can think of that behaves in anything like the same way is Halloween. Uh-huh, the only episode right. that we've covered thus the far, only so <laughs> far right. in the same uh-huh. way, uh, is Halloween. And of course, there's there's a common factor between those two episodes. One of the problems about comedy episodes is it's kind of hard to talk about them. Yeah. Because all I want to do at the end of every scene is quote every line <laughs> of the script. Perhaps that would be better. Perhaps instead of talking about right. band candy, we should just do a dramatic reading of the exact- entire shooting Oh my script. gosh, that'd be so that'd fun. That'd be a lot of fun. <laughs> there's not a lot of crunchy depth, mm-hmm. I think, in this in this episode. No, we don't get the very deep emotional notes that we'll find in some other episodes of Buffy, but that's okay because what this episode does, it does so excellently. Absolutely. Yeah. Before we get into the beat by beat, let's talk a little about our director, mm-hmm. uh, Michael Lang. This is his second of, of four Buffy the Vampire Slayers. His first, his debut appearance in Buffy was directing Surprise. Yeah, not a lot of pressure on that one. some serious chops, this guy. And I have to say, he handles the comedy structure 
of this episode really quite well. I like and it. And it's not for all that it's it's <laughs> for all that it's kind of a disposable episode in yeah. the sense that it doesn't really advance many of our main plots. It gives us hints about things to come. Mm-hmm. It moves some of the relationships incrementally forward, but it doesn't do anything huge. Right. But despite that, it is a fairly large-scale production. This yes. is this is not a bottle episode of Buffy. This is not a cheap <laughs> episode that we can save money on or that we mm-hmm. can, you know, control the shooting of so that we can spend more time on the episodes on either side of it. This is a pretty serious endeavor. Yeah. And I think he pulls it off really quite beautifully. I think so, too. I think it's, it's really nice. He doesn't get in the way of the work. You know, he makes sure that the, the story is, is the main star, and I love that. Yeah. So let's move through our brief beat by beat this week. <laughs> we begin drink in the Hello! graveyard. Yay! Giles reads aloud over a gravestone, helping Buffy practice for her SATs. And I like, this is some really nice bookending, and this is the kind of thing that Jane will do just effortlessly, yes. mm-hmm. because she is just that good. Yeah. We get this wonderful bookending, front and back, of first Giles and then Buffy giving an account of something that seems to be extremely serious, mm-hmm. only to reveal that they're talking about the SATs. Absolutely. <laughs> I, I just love it. There's it's so a really, much really nice bookend. Internal symmetry. Yeah. And this is what happens when you get a writer who doesn't just have a grasp of the characters and of right. the world, but has a really tight and intuitive grasp of the craft. Yeah. Jane Aspenson's scripts, generally speaking, are structured to within an inch of their lives. Oh, you I can love just, it. You can yeah. bounce a quarter off it. There is one point yes. in this script that I think the structuring fails. Mm-hmm. And it is the kind of thing that in any other episode you would breeze right by without a single comment. But because everything is so tightly done, yeah. you we'll, notice we'll it. We'll get now. to it in due mm-hmm. course. I, I wonder actually if you have a note about the same scene. We'll, we'll get see to when we get there. In yeah. due course. Giles emphasizes the importance of study and of Buffy's chances of getting into college, but Buffy is distracted further by the sudden appearance of a vampire. She battles him with slayer efficiency and stakes him with her number two pencil. I love that. Luckily, Giles brought a spare <laughs> and their study session isn't over yet mm-hmm. i like everything about this opening sequence yeah everything it's fabulous about it. <laughs> it's fabulous buffy pouts that they are the only ones working this late which does seem like the kind of thing that you shouldn't say in sunnydale <laughs> i feel like anytime a character says something like that they in universe are aware of the audience cutting away to something exactly yes. we're always mm-hmm. going to do that mm-hmm. and we cut in this instance to city hall where the mayor assigns mr trick a difficult and delicate job Trick knows a beast who knows a guy. One of my favorite lines in the entire script. Someone, in fact, with experience in Sunnydale. The mayor reveals that there is a demon who requires tribute, and Mayor Wilkins always lives up to his campaign promises. And he has a closet full of arcane paraphernalia. More about that, I'm sure, in the future. What do we think about revealing right up front and in such a trivial way Mm -hmm. that the mayor is in league with demons. I don't think that there has been a doubt about that. I mean, it's been, it's been fairly clear that the mayor has been, uh, has been deeply involved in, in a lot of the arcane stuff that's been going on in Sunnydale. And the idea that he has made campaign promises to demons who got him elected mayor of Sunnydale. (laughs) Like (laughs) how many, how big are the favors that you have to do to get elected mayor of Sunnydale? Well, there's Um, only one mayor of a town on the Hellmath. This is very as true. As far as we know. At this least. is very true. It's a very special, special slot. So, um, yeah, I, I found it to be uh, exactly what I expected, but still a really rewarding reveal. I enjoyed it, even though I kind of knew that was coming. You think so? It wasn't unexpected it for works me. For you. Well, yeah. no, it's not that it's unexpected. It's that it's it's given such little attention. We really do breeze right past it. Yeah, mm-hmm. um, it's treated 
like it's something we already know, though this is the confirmation of it right now. You know? Right. Well, it is sort of something we've always suspected. And I like that it's it's very brief and just matter of fact yeah. and that we're, we're moving through the story rather than super explaining the mayor. I think I could have, I could have survived a, a slightly stronger beat. Mm-hmm. I could have survived something a little more forceful in that reveal. Yeah. Um, but yeah, it, broadly speaking, it works. And of course, the banter between mm-hmm. Trick and the mayor is just, just delightful. Oh, all of the mayor's dialogue. Well, I love it. Trick is always yeah. good, but when he has knows Jane a guy. dialogue, <laughs> I know a beast who knows a guy is yeah. so effortless. So fun. And so it's such a great character beat. Yeah. And at the same time, just a fun line. You yeah, know? It's, it's so playful, it does you know, all of these a things really at once. Yeah. Yeah, no, we're going to say a lot of good stuff. We're about just going to be like basically <laughs> raving about Jane Espenson for an hour now. At school, after the credits, Buffy relates an SAT-related stress dream to Willow and Oz, who has some experience with the SATs. Cordelia has already heard of Oz's dubious achievement, but she's just very relaxed. She does very well on standardized tests. <laughs> and this is treated like a throwaway line. Yeah. But I love that observation, because of course of she course would. Of course she would. Cordelia she is, is the person that standardized tests are written exactly for. Exactly right. And I love that character beat with her. I love the whole thing where Willow is so proud to tell everybody that Oz is the highest highest scoring person never to graduate <laughs> or to fail to graduate and uh, i love how proud she is of that and obviously she's been telling people that all along because everybody already knows it you know um it's just it's such a sweet scene that moves us forward in you know the story that we're telling but at the same time uses these lovely little character moments you know as a way of just pushing yes. us through mm-hmm. this is not i would say perhaps cordelia's finest hour mm-hmm. she is is a little less prominent and a little less incisive than yes. she has been mm-hmm. in past episodes but this isn't her story yeah and she still gets some really and good okay. supporting dialogue she mm-hmm. gets some really good presence in the scenes that she's in i just you know i could i could stand to have a lot more cordelia in my life is Absolutely. what i'm saying she's still very very good <laughs> she has no, layers she does have layers. <laughs> no matter how much buffy wants to study though she has other plans joyce has apparently been very attentive since buffy returned home as we saw last week in, uh, uh, no, no, I guess not last week, uh, probably the week before. Oh, mm-hmm. no, that was the episode where Buffy stayed out all night reading <laughs> to Angel and then slept in the library because she was looking for all. Look, if Buffy wants to assert that Joyce has been on her 24-7, then who are we to argue? It's not as though we have textual evidence to the contrary, <laughs> right? I like that we're refocusing everything yeah. here. It's like no one has talked about Buffy's, you know, yes. summer adventure mm-hmm. for the last four episodes. But right. now suddenly it is back because we want to talk about responsibility and maturity. We mm-hmm. want to talk about chafing under parental restriction. And mm-hmm. we want to talk, of course, about the danger of getting what you want. Exactly. <laughs> In the student lounge, Snyder gives the Scoobies boxes of candy that they must now sell in order to make money for the marching band. It's probably an inconsequential detail. Let us pay it no further mind. (laughs) At home, Joyce reiterates Buffy's objection to selling the candy, namely that Buffy isn't in band, Mm -hmm. but there's nothing to be done. So in the face of Buffy's masterful sales technique, Joyce relents and buys 20 chocolate bars. Buffy pushes her luck and raises the subject of her driver's license, but Joyce isn't interested in that conversation. She doesn't want to add to the possibility of Buffy skipping town again, which reads as a little pointed and insecure. And I know that we have to once again emphasize the fact that Buffy skipped town. Yes. Mm -hmm. But it seems a little... 
within the framework of this episode, mm-hmm. it works quite nicely. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Because we've come off a few episodes where no one has mentioned the fact that... that right, we seem to have gotten over, over it. Yes. Right. Mm-hmm. Now we're suddenly not over it again. Yeah, and but... And it feels a little... <laughs> it's not the fault of this script. Yeah. But having come off the back of episodes where we just haven't mentioned it at all, and Buffy seems to be completely reintegrated into mm-hmm. her life in Sunnydale... It feels a little, God, could you not just let it go? Could you not just... Well, if it didn't pay off so much, I would be completely with you. But I feel yeah, like right. because it pays off so much, I'm willing to like sacrifice that that little bit of, of kind of world building. Um, but the thing in this scene that always kind of surprised me is the fact that Buffy failed the written test and wasn't allowed to take the road test, which means she doesn't have a license, which means that driving is illegal. And Joyce doesn't have to go to, oh, you skip town. All she has to do is say, it's, you know, it's not legal yeah. for you to drive my car, um, you know, and I'm and not insured for that. With good reason, absolutely. So, um, so I mean, I, I find that to be a little bit like the fact that she failed the tests should be the reason why, you know, Joyce doesn't have to go straight to you'll skip town again. You know, in any other episode, I don't think we would even notice this. It's only mm-hmm. conspicuous here because on the one hand, Joyce is is more fully written yeah. than she usually is. Mm-hmm. And on the other, she's just given more to do. Yes. But this is exactly the kind of thing that we get from Joyce in most episodes in which she appears, which is let's just slightly break her character so that we can reinforce the conflict that we need this week. Right. If mm-hmm. we need Buffy to suddenly have to stay home, if we need Buffy to suddenly get an A on this test, if we need Buffy to feel conflicted about her dual life, then Joyce can just, you know, she can represent the need of the script in that moment. Mm -hmm. And I think that's what's happening here. Yeah. Mm -hmm. But yeah, it feels a little... It feels a little forced yeah. and a little quick. That said, yeah, it's not really a fault in this script. It's only in the in, in the, the greater context of everything that's yeah. going on at this point. But um, but even so, though, I have to say, like as much as I have disliked Joyce, and anybody who's listened to anything up until now knows how much I have disliked Joyce. This is where, like, first of all, I completely sympathize with Joyce in this. And Buffy's right. If she wants to run off, she can just, you know, get on the bus, you know, and that she didn't have her driver's license before when she ran off. So really, that's not what's at issue here. But um, but Joyce's insecurity, Joyce's worry about Buffy, um, you know, I can sympathize with that to a yeah. certain degree. So even though we sort of are falling back to this pattern of using Joyce to to beat down the guilt hammer on Buffy, um, in some reason, for some reason, now it's just not bothering me the way that it used to. And I feel like because oh. we see Joyce as a more fully realized character since coming out of the ramifications of, of the end of season two. I think it's just, on the one hand, it's, it's just written more, mm-hmm. more tightly. It's, yeah. it's just, there's more Joyce in this than yeah. we've seen previously. And on the other, because Joyce is now in on the secret, mm-hmm. it's more authentically character driven. It's yes. not based on a fundamental misunderstanding right. or a fundamental lack of communication. Now, at least it is argued from a point of principle. We get this wonderfully subtle line much, mm-hmm. much later in the script where, uh, where Joyce says to Buffy, you get to slay and I don't get to say anything about it, mm-hmm. which I think reveals a great deal about how Joyce sees their relationship now. And if you kind of backfill some of that motivation on this scene, Joyce's desire to keep Buffy safe, even from herself and her own worst impulses, is at least laudable in a way that Joyce in season one, season two was never Exactly. Well, and also that we have this mother who can't protect her daughter. Yeah. You know, and and who is, is... is like basically her ability to protect her daughter is taken away from her 
very, very early. <laughs> you know, um, this is something every parent goes through when your kid goes off to college or your kid becomes an adult. But to have this situation in high school where your, your child is facing something that is so far beyond your abilities to even have any influence, you know, yeah. to help at all. Um, that can be a really frustrating thing. And I think that that makes me sympathize so much more with Joyce from this point sure. forward. Sure. No, this is the Joyce that I want. That I remember. This is yeah. the Joyce that made us so frustrated with Joyce in season two. Exactly. Because yeah. we know who this character is or, or, or you know, potentially right. is or can mm-hmm. be. And here she is. I mean, she's shown up. She's been around for a few episodes. Yes. Now, but mm-hmm. I'm always glad to have her. And Christine Sutherland just absolutely Knocking it out of the bringing park. It, just Love her. bringing it in this yes. episode. In the library, Giles tests Buffy's blind fighting skills with a little impromptu dodgeball, but only after confirming that he too has bought 20 candy bars. Uh I wonder if that will be significant later. (laughs) Buffy breezes out before they're supposed to go on patrol, leaving Giles with nothing but candy to occupy him. (laughs) Again. Giles has a lot of lonely nights with candy, is what I'm saying. (laughs) But Buffy hasn't been telling the whole truth. In the garden mansion, Angel is engaging in a little half-naked Tai Chi, (laughs) which is, I guess, half as good as fully naked Tai Chi. (laughs) And Buffy watches from the shadows. He's more his old self again, though still weak. Inside, by a crackling fire, Buffy reassures her former beau that she doesn't smell of garbage, in case you were wondering, I know that I was. And Angel delicately asks about Scott. Buffy has brought Angel another bag lunch of fresh butcher blood. She describes this, I got this for you from the butcher, which mm-hmm. I'm assuming she means I bought this at the butcher shop <laughs> and that she didn't, you know, tap the vein of a friendly mustachioed man wearing a striped apron. It never even occurred to me to read that in that way. But I'm just now, saying, possible now, ambiguity in the right. script <laughs> Buffy returns home to find Joyce waiting for her by the door. Oh, before we skip ahead, in fact, let's talk about Angel, since this is his only presence. Once again, we have our obligatory scene with Angel, so we can keep that subplot on the boil. Mm -hmm. Did you like this? Um, I'm really enjoying Buffy and Angel together now. Um, There is this wonderful tension between them that I'm really enjoying that is is part of the ramifications of the end of season two, you know? Um, And uh, and yeah, I mean, even though these Angel scenes don't really add a whole lot, um, it does have a place here because Angel is the reason why she's lying to both, you know, her mother and Giles. So yes. On the one hand, I really like the angel scene, and I think mm-hmm. that this scene, more than most, actually does move their plot Has forward. something to do with the rest of the story, yeah. right? Mm-hmm. Uh, and, and it, of course, it's just it's beautifully written and right. beautifully performed, and there is a great, a, a painful, raw mm-hmm. kind of tenderness between yeah. the two of them that I really appreciate. It is slightly problematic that in the rest of the episode, Buffy is railing against the normal kind of, you know, teenage Mm -hmm. restrictions. Yes. She's talking about having her entire life scheduled out by Joyce and by Giles together, Mm -hmm. you know? You're both scheduling me 24 hours a day, and that's 48 hours a day. (laughs) It's troubling to me that we don't at any point get a reference made to Angel. Yeah. And the reason why she wants this free time, why she wants to sneak off, and this kind of more morally dubious aspect. We, We... tend to forget for the rest of the episode that Angel's even a factor, that he's yeah. even a consideration, mm-hmm. and that she ought not to be lying about him in the first place. She ought mm-hmm. not to be sneaking off, not in general, but right. in we this don't very feel specific that tension instance. That here is a secret she's keeping from her family and friends, and a secret which is kind of a big deal. A secret that she knows she has to keep because it's dangerous and because right. she would be, you know, mm-hmm. censored by. But we by don't. Her we don't get a sense of that of that particular element of this conflict. We mm-hmm. don't. Which kind of makes me wish that we'd either 
cut Angel from the episode entirely mm-hmm. so that this was just a a standard classic, right. you know, Buffy being caught between two worlds storyline, which would be fine. Mm-hmm. Or that we add a little coda with Angel at the end right. where we show the consequences of her albeit limited, newfound freedom. Right. Mm-hmm. I would have liked a little follow-up scene right at that the end of the episode. That would have been really nice. Yeah. Just to kind of connect that back so that we have, oh, yay, Buffy gets a little more freedom. She gets a little more responsibility. Joyce and Giles are being a little more considerate. That's wonderful. <laughs> now she can engage oh, in no her duplicity. <laughs> yeah, exactly. <laughs> no, I actually, I really would like for there, to, I don't want Angel taken out. I really would like for there to be that coda yeah. at the end. As much as um, I love the closing moments yeah. of this episode, oh, I think it would no, have been okay fantastic. to have Joyce and Giles go their separate ways so and awkwardly. Then, go to and then Angel transition and through yeah. just to the garden Mansion because it's such a thing. it's such a big deal and it's such an anchor point for the for the season um so yeah no i definitely see that although i i really i wouldn't want to lose this scene because I, yeah. I enjoy it a lot i think it's good mm-hmm. so back home with joyce buffy makes an excuse about studying with giles but oops giles is there too ah. buffy's parents and that's a theme that we'll continue to explore throughout <laughs> yes. the episode. Buffy's parents are concerned with her immaturity. She's chafing under this constant supervision. Giles tells her that she ought not to freak out and sends her off to her room. As she leaves, he and Joyce sit on the couch eating still more chocolate. And is it just me? Or is Giles' accent starting to slip just a little? Just a little bit. What a lovely, lovely element of this. The way his accent changes. The beat when they're in the hospital much later Mm -hmm. and he's talking about Lurconus and he's starting to remember. He's starting to, he's quoting these references. The brilliant precision with which his accent comes and goes is just phenomenal. It's a phenomenal piece of character work. Yeah. Anthony Stewart Head is amazing. He is so good. I don't, care a great deal i I find him funny i don't find him compelling Mm -hmm. in this episode he's not ripper to me is not an interesting character he's not (laughs) as interesting as giles trying to reconcile himself with the ripper within beautifully put i think that Mm -hmm. is exactly it giles struggling with that identity is much more interesting than that identity in and of itself itself, yes but when he's moving between those two worlds yeah he is in such full control of every detail of Mm -hmm. his performance and we're going to see this in the future. You know, I won't give specific spoilery foreshadowing examples. Right. But we'll see in the future moments where Giles is more or less himself mm-hmm. <laughs> when he is afflicted by various things. And any time that he is just knocked off his perch just a little, you see how studied mm-hmm. this stuffy persona really is and how effortlessly oh, yeah. Anthony Head can move away from that and, mm-hmm. and and reconnect with it when he needs to. It's it's a really great performance and this is a wonderful scene. And we're getting we're moving so quickly through this episode. I know. But we're getting all this wonderful it's layered so foreshadowing. Packed with every single line is just incredible. Oh yeah. 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 In one of the few occupied and active warehouses in Sunnydale's picturesque (laughs) abandoned warehouse district, a man takes a chocolate bar from a box, but is prevented from eating it by an old friend. Ethan Rain is back in town. Did you guess, can you even remember watching this for the first time? Oh, if I was expecting Ethan Rain, probably not. <laughs> probably not at that point. But um, but it was always fun to see him. I always enjoyed him it's whenever he showed up. He shows he's up. just he's just this. He's Loki. He is a trickster yeah, god. Yeah. He's so fun. Yeah, yeah, it's so interesting to have that uh, that line from Giles in the cold open. Mm-hmm. There, all systems tend toward chaos. Yes, and absolutely. Now here, of course, and see we that's have. what I'm talking about with Jane. Yeah, that's the thing that I love. 
nothing is wasted. Yeah. You know, I mean, it is so incredible how everything she does, she'll use to two or three different purposes. And it, it makes it so dense and so beautiful. And there's so many things that you can pick up on, you know, watching it again and again and again. It's the kind of thing that when you watch it again, you pick up on something you never saw before. Yeah. And it's so great to see mm-hmm. her come into the show with this fully formed sense of these yeah. characters, to see her come in. And, and this script. And this could, is her first one. Yeah, it could easily have been her her 10th, 12th yeah. script, yeah. such as her mastery she of these characters. She started out at this level of mastery, which did, I find astounding. Did any of these characters ring false for you in, in this script? Because we talked yeah. uh, a couple of weeks ago about mm-hmm. David Greenwald's problems writing uh, Willow. Sometimes his grasp of Willow can be a little difficult. Right, we yeah. talked about, you know, some of the other characters don't... Oz, I think, is particularly difficult to write. Right. Not everyone gets Oz's voice right. Mm-hmm. Not everyone gets Xander's voice right. Yeah. Not everyone understands mm-hmm. that Cordelia has layers. Has the know? layers that she has, yeah, absolutely. I have to say, for me, mm-hmm. none of the characters felt wrong. They all felt not just true not just consistent but but particularly vividly illuminated yes Yes. no absolutely and this is a thing like i i know i sound like the biggest jane espenson fangirl and i'll tell you right off I am. I have been for a long time. But I have been because of this because kind of work. Of work because of the quality it, yeah. of the work that she yeah. does. I mean, there are a lot of writers that I love and appreciate. But Jane Espenson is like, I've seen her work. There's so many times where I've been watching a television show and something is so good that it makes me go to IMDb and see who wrote it. Yeah. Nine times out of ten when that happens, it's because it's Jane. She is one of those very rare yeah. examples where you can absolutely just recommend her IMDb page yeah. as a to-watch list. Just study Just go pick those something episodes. off it. If it's something you haven't seen, go right. watch it. Yeah. I'm actually saving the show that uh, Jane co-created, Warehouse yeah. 13. I'm uh-huh. saving that because I just don't have time to properly watch it and appreciate it and yet. You have to yeah yeah i'm waiting until i don't know I, I i get a really bad cold or something and i'm laid out for a week and i will just <laughs> marathon the i don't know 45 episodes that that yeah. show had yeah she's just she really is just that good and and mechanically good too you know she has yeah. a, a real grasp of the craft the next day buffy and cordelia are waiting in study hall giles is running late somewhat uncharacteristically and cordelia laments his tightly wound nature Xander's on the chocolate, though Willow has sold all of hers, and as they talk, we slowly pan down beneath the desk to reveal that they are delicately playing footsie. Conversation grows difficult as they get more distracted, but they return to reality with a bump when Cordelia turns around. Very sweet moment. We get a couple of those sweet moments. We're not just keeping that plot burning. Mm -hmm. We're actually moving forward with it albeit in a fairly slow and subtle way, the big shift that we're getting here Mm -hmm. that we didn't get previously is that they are engaging in this flirtatious, furtive, covert This dangerous playing with fire. Yeah. Yeah. But they're in it Mm -hmm. in a way that they weren't last week you know they're right last week they were it's a fluke and all of that but now they're being drawn to each other although i do have one thing to say about this scene that Mm -hmm. is very important i need willow's sneakers i need a pair of those sneakers sneakers? i don't know if they exist anymore if anybody knows what they are but if anybody can tell me where i can get a pair of those exact sneakers i will love you forever the costuming work in this episode in particular is so strong between Willow's sneakers, which yeah. are just brilliant and conspicuous, Giles's hat and the coat that he steals yes. for, uh, mm-hmm. for Joyce out of the out of the store later. There's so much <laughs> attention to that detail. Newton. Very juice Newton. 
<laughs> which is something only somebody who grew up in the in the 70s would possibly know you yeah know, it's that line though it's the quality of that line yeah. that says everything you need to know about the script it is a funny line in and of itself it, it, it because of the specificity which just, specificity yes. is the way to make a joke really really work yeah, yeah. it's it's beautifully beautifully mm-hmm. done in the hall meanwhile snyder complains that giles hasn't shown up and sends ms barton in to keep an eye on the study hall everybody just expects him to do everything and it yeah, fair. I know. Armin Shimmerman in this episode is just sublime. I love him so much. I can't even. <laughs> I can't even. He is everything he's done up to now. I have loved his level of commitment. I've loved his uh, his humorous delivery. I've loved all of the things that he's done. Even when I hate Snyder, I love Armin Shimmerman's performance. Yeah. And this is just taking it to an entirely new level. It, he, it, his it, comedic timing is brilliant. Almost too good to even analyze yeah. and talk about critically i can't i can't it's even just, it's, i know it's perfect <laughs> it is perfect uh in the classroom ms barton tells the kids to fake study until snyder's back is turned and then they're all out of there buffy is concerned about giles's absence and after class is over she goes to his house where she happens to find joyce too coincidentally <laughs> giles and joyce have apparently been discussing buffy's scheduling and they're working out a more generous compromise giving her a little more free time Joyce even gives Buffy the keys to the car. Buffy leaves eagerly, her qualms silenced because, as we know, driving is the most fun thing in the world. It is. It's just the greatest thing that you can do (laughs) is drive. I can think of no marked delineation between adolescence and adulthood yes. in the real world. Yeah. Then getting to the point where driving just becomes a chore again. I know. <laughs> it goes from being the greatest thing, the greatest liberation that can possibly oh, exist. Man, I Very still quickly, remember the first into, time I got behind the wheel of a car by myself. It was the best. Do you remember the first time that you ever felt, oh, I've got to drive to the store? Yes. Ugh. Yes. It was probably about three weeks later. Exactly. Because it is for everyone. There's no greater. And it becomes a chore. Right? <laughs> Human beings have this uncanny ability to very quickly get bored with exactly. anything. <laughs> it's amazing. Uh, so Buffy leaves as Giles lights a cigarette and Joyce opens a bottle of something. Uh, it's something good, like I'm guessing. sangria yeah, or, or something. Know. I, don't I know. love that. Do you think she could tell? Just that wonderful swap of the roles between parent and kid. It's, oh, God. Here's my question. What is Joyce referring to? I don't know that they were smoking, that they were drinking, <laughs> that they were, I don't know. Very quickly rearranging their clothing. Possibly. Well, what do you think? Do you think that they are I think it's the smoking and the drinking. I don't, think, I don't think that they have, you know, have would, had sex yet. Would Joyce be embarrassed? Would she feel so, I don't know. I think she feels the way that a kid feels when they get caught by their parents and they try to pretend that they're not high, you know? <laughs> Oh, that could explain a I lot, think, I think that yeah. that's it, yeah. yeah. In the car, Buffy drives like a cartoon lunatic. There's no nicer <laughs> way to put it than that, as Willow worries beside her. They're headed for the bronze, despite the fact that the SATs are tomorrow. Buffy fumbles with the radio instead of watching the road, and as Willow panics, we cut to Joyce and Giles listening to vinyl albums and smoking, because nothing speaks to indolent, youthful rebellion like prog rock speaks to <laughs> indolent youthful rebellion. I love it. Giles is going by the name Ripper now, and he and Joyce want to go out and have some fun, but not at the bronze. That place is dead. <laughs> I love every detail. I know. It's just so good. We cut to the bronze, which admittedly is looking a little less dead than usual. Dingo's Ate My Baby are playing, and they sound better. Don't they sound Very better? Good. Doesn't it sound as though they're using a different band to provide the music <laughs> for Dingo's Ain't My Baby this week? The bronze is 
full of adults, including Ms. Barton herself and, oh, Snyder, who is just psyched to be the principal. Willow's doctor stage dives but misses the crowd, while Buffy realizes that the adults in Sunnydale are behaving like kids. Though Willow correctly points out that she doesn't act like this. <laughs> well, Willow has always acted like an adult. But okay, my favorite line in this entire thing is oh, wow. in this scene. I love it when Miss Barton says, are there any nachos in here, little tree? <laughs> <laughs> that is one of the most brilliant lines. I love it. I want to get it tattooed on my arm. I just, wow, really? Are there any nachos in here, little tree? That's a very specific <laughs> tattoo reference. I know, but it'll be great. <laughs> <laughs> in the warehouse, meanwhile, Trick and Ethan Rain keep track of their workforce with a little indiscriminate violence. Demand for the candy bars is high, and the consequences are being felt all over town. Back in the bronze, our heroes are taking stock of this brave new world. There's impromptu acapella. There's making out. There's a random fist fight. Everything a night out needs. Snyder tags along with the Scoobies when they go to look for Giles. Buffy peels out of the parking lot. And by parking lot, I mean the street right outside the front door of the bronze. <laughs> and we cut to a pair of candied up adults drag racing near a playground that is also full of adults. This scene, this sequence, this juxtaposition yeah. will be relevant in about 10 minutes. And this is the moment for me where the structure broke down. Ah, okay. We have this shot of these two guys getting ready to drag race. Yes. And then we cut away for what feels like forever. Mm -hmm. So that when these guys who are drag racing actually become relevant. Yes. It just feels like the longest time since we've we have sort seen of them. forgot. Well, in all honesty, I hadn't associated the drag racing with the accident. That it's, happens it's the later. Same, it's, it's the, the same, same guy, guy, and it's the same playground yeah. where where Buffy I just thought it was more more adults just being irresponsible. I wasn't really making that direct association, so I understand that. Yeah, there's probably a little bit too much, but I don't. I think that it works even if you don't associate the drag racing with the accident that I Buffy has later. I think the fact later. that you yeah. don't associate it with the accident yeah. is is a little problematic because yeah. otherwise it's just this weird I don't know twenty second sequence. Where you see where you see these guys the exactly. and these two guys giving each other right. the eye at the stop sign. Well, it's just uh, you see that there are adults and that they are misbehaving all over town. You know, that's kind of the the theme of it. So, yeah, yeah, yeah. Back in Buffy's car, she and Willow fill Oz and the audience in on Giles's checkered history as Ripper, which is then ably demonstrated by the man himself as he walks through the downtown area of Sunnydale with Joyce. She spots a cool outfit in a store window, and Giles, who is just so disaffected by this point. So disaffected. It's, it's amazing at this point that Giles' heart yes. can be bothered beating blood around his body because why do I have to do everything and it never stops? I'm just stuck in the same old routine. Stupid blood. I hate it. It's amazing that his autonomic functions are still working right. in his okay, body. Here's the thing, though. Okay. Giles was still Giles when he got dressed that morning. So the T-shirt that he's wearing, I think, would be the T-shirt that he ordinarily wears underneath his sleeve. Uh, it is. Suit. He takes his shirt off back when right. he's talking with Joyce. Right. Why does it have little bullet holes in it? Why does it have little... I mean, wouldn't Giles throw out a well, okay. T-shirt that is worn so much that it has little holes in it? Either the little hole happened between him leaving his house with Joyce and arriving downtown. Oh, like Joyce ripped a hole in his it shirt. It could be, with her teeth, I'm sure. <laughs> Or uh -huh. Giles is just embodying the tradition of the moth-eaten professor. Perhaps, perhaps. <laughs> perhaps it's yes. just true that that underneath those house... th those three-piece tweed suits, yes. <laughs> <laughs> it's just an entire colony of moths. <laughs> they have yet to burst through the tweed, but when they do, Sunnydale needs to watch the hell. Out. Hey, look, they're they're hellmouth moths. That's, right, that's this very is very serious. Saying. Yes, yeah. Giles doesn't actually have a carpet or any soft yes. furnishings in his house. <laughs> 
It's just an inch thick layer of moths. <laughs> There's a reason that Jenny only went there once. Oh, and that was after she died. Oh no! Oh yeah. wow! Oh god! No, that was t- that was hard. That wasn't good. Giles breaks the store window and climbs inside. Nothing but a little petty crime to impress yeah, my whatever. girlfriend. Yeah. He gives Joyce the coat, which again, just just beautiful oh, costume love detail. That, yeah. It is the perfect mm-hmm. coat for the situation. But they are interrupted by a uniformed cop holding a gun. We cut quickly to Buffy and the others who are suddenly hit by one of the drag racers from Mm -hmm. earlier. And we cut back immediately to Giles, who disarms the police officer and takes the gun, showing some of that ripper malevolence. Mm -hmm. Some of that darkness that we really have come to associate. And I do like that the show in general and the script in particular Mm -hmm. managed to keep a hold of the darkness in the ripper persona. Mm -hmm. That he's not just... He's not just disaffected. He's not just right. a rebellious teen. He is actually a thoroughly nasty person. Yeah, mm-hmm. it's it's a really bold choice, and I like that we keep hold of that and we don't we don't caricature him down into mm-hmm. just this, you know, right? This mm-hmm. mid seventies, you know, rebellious. Yeah, that he's actually child. also dangerous. Yeah, yeah it's mm-hmm. it's a, it's a strong character choice, and it's a difficult one yeah. too. Um, there's no nice way to say it, but Joyce is just so aroused that she can barely think straight. <laughs> Though she does pause to take the gum out of her mouth I in love the that. character detail before she and Giles make out on the hood of the police car. Mm-hmm. Back in the street, Buffy and the others emerge from the car rack as the other driver runs off. Buffy, seeing the wandering bands of candified adults, begins to put the pieces together, even as a passerby steals Snyder's chocolate bar and runs <laughs> off with it. With the adult population regressed to their teenage states, Sunnydale is defenseless. Something is going down, and this, all this, with the candy? This is a distraction. Buffy jumps to the conclusion that the candy is cursed. Willow and Oz are dispatched to get Xander and Cordelia, and thereafter, to the library for some research. Buffy and Snyder are going to the source. We cut to warehouse workers throwing armloads of candy into the crowd as Joyce and Giles <laughs> make out in the street. They apparently decided to wander from the downtown district of Sunnydale to the warehouse district of Sunnydale, making out all the while. All the way. It is possible that they just didn't stop kissing. Yes. And just random chance. And you just know what? Random brownie Good in motion both carried them. them to the candy it's warehouse. It's about time they had some fun. Sure. I don't begrudge them that fun <laughs> at all. And it is very clear, too, that both Anthony Head and Christine Sutherland are having a great, a time, great time in this episode. <laughs> Buffy screeches to a halt but freezes as she passes her parents. And I love I love that it isn't a, there's so much about this episode that is cartoonish mm-hmm. I love that the double take isn't cartoonish yeah. I love that mm-hmm. she walks past and it's a half step and she just stops dead and suddenly makes the connection yeah it's oh it's so beautiful good. it's beautiful she faces down Giles and talks to Joyce who isn't at all interested in going home she wants more candy and she can have it if she wants Giles tries to pull Joyce towards the candy but Buffy tries to stop her by pointing out the damage done to her car <laughs> and Joyce is upset Though not by the damage so much as her choice in vehicular transport. (laughs) Giles exerts his watcher authority and tells Buffy to sod off, but Buffy takes the cigarette out of his mouth, stamps it out, and tells him to take Joyce home. There's a lot of posturing and and counter-assertions made in this very short scene. We keep getting people saying, no, it's going to be this way, and then marching off as if that was going to work. Only for it to have no consequence whatsoever. I really like it. Needless to say, Giles doesn't listen, but Buffy has already moved on to the candy distributors. She beats them up with Slayer Strength, which... 
I mean, it's only the third or fourth time that I've watched this episode that yeah. it struck me as perhaps a little disproportionate. The way she throws the guy off the uh, off the, the platform where they're yeah. handing out the candy bar. These are just normal human beings. These are beings. just normal people under the influence of, yeah. There's so no they're, reason they're to think victims. that they're in any way. Yeah. But she I would just also... killed those guys. <laughs> she just killed. She didn't kill them. They're going to be achy for a while. They're, I mean, she, she they tossed them around a little bit. Again. No, it's choreographed like <laughs> yeah. a standard Buffy fight sequence. Like a, like a vampire fight. And yeah. I think that when we got to it, no one was thinking, oh, wait, these guys aren't actually. These guys are not super powered, but just no, as aerodynamic. They're just in the local, exactly. you know, abandoned warehouse union. <laughs> It's a tough day for them. Luckily, you know, they probably have medical benefits. It's all going to be fine, I'm sure. Inside, Buffy finds the operation all but abandoned, save, of course, for one Ethan Rain, who could do with being a little more aware of his surroundings, at least not taking urgent phone calls with his back to the door. He runs, because that's what Ethan Rain does, Mm -hmm. and Buffy and Giles give chase. In the library, meanwhile, Cordelia is concerned about her parents. Xander acknowledges that the candy isn't having much effect on him, but as he gives a book to Willow, their fingers touch, and that's enough for the soundtrack to get all romantic on them. Maybe that's what it is. Maybe Mm -hmm. that's why Xander and Willow can keep their hands off each other. They can hear the non-diegetic music. Oh, they can hear the soundtrack and every time it gets all ripply and strings, mm-hmm. <laughs> they just, they can't help themselves because human beings react to stuff like that. Exactly. That's my theory anyway. Yeah. Mm-hmm. They break apart guiltily and Willow reacts when Cordelia asks if they want to swap. Books, of course, not boyfriends. That would never work. Oz isn't man enough to handle Cordelia. <laughs> <laughs> In fairness, Few I suppose, men are. neither is Xander. Neither is Xander. <laughs> Buffy and Giles chase Ethan through the labyrinth of boxes, or if we're going to be strictly technically accurate, through these same half dozen boxes a few times over. (laughs) It's like Scooby-Doo. They move the camera just enough that it's obviously supposed to be a different space, Mm -hmm. but it's clearly the same space. (laughs) They should have just locked the camera down Mm -hmm. and had them run in and out from various sides of the set. Play a little yakety sax That probably would have been, been a little great. bit too cartoonish, but yeah. <laughs> but we're talking like a degree. A degree, yes. Is the difference mm-hmm. here, yeah. Um, Buffy smashes a crate and pulls Ethan out, and we cut back to Snyder and Joyce in the warehouse eating candy. Snyder asks Joyce if she and Giles are going steady, and Joyce simply sighs and leaves. <laughs> Buffy asks Ethan what is going on, and he gives up Trick's name very easily. This is a cover story we learned for a tribute to a demon named Lurconus. The fine folk of Sunnydale had to be distracted so the tribute could be taken. Buffy asks, very seriously, just what the tribute is. And we cut to Sunnydale General, where a group of vampires unimpeded take four babies from the maternity ward. And wow, this episode just took a turn for the dark, (laughs) didn't it? It did. (laughs) And I like very much how we handle the seriousness Mm -hmm. of this. It would be easy for this episode, lighthearted and fairly silly as it is, Mm -hmm. to have inconsequential consequence. To have, you know, Mm -hmm. nothing very much at stake. To have it just be Ethan Rain sowing chaos as is Right, just stealing people's televisions or whatever, you know, yeah. But we manage to pin it down in this very serious and and this may be in fact the most serious kind of of risk that we've seen in buffy thus Mm -hmm. far you know normally when we even talk about the threat to children Mm -hmm. the episode takes on this incredibly dark and somber tone you know as it did back with uh, their kinderstadt in the hospital Mm -hmm. but here we just have these children being taken Mm -hmm. and if you 
stop, I think, if you kind of think about the actual consequence. Because the plan is that everyone is going to be so candied up that when they come to, they're going to blame themselves for these children going missing. I Mm -hmm. mean, had this plan succeeded, it would be much more humanly Mm -hmm. awful and much more kind of much more domestically tragic Mm -hmm. than we're used to in Buffy. Mm -hmm. It really would have been a horrifying circumstance. Buffy calls Willow and updates her on the situation, trying to find out more about this Lurconus. Ethan takes the opportunity to raise a crowbar, intending to strike Buffy, but is interrupted when Giles puts his stolen gun to Ethan's neck. Buffy knocks Ethan down and demands Giles' gun. He reluctantly gives it up. Willow, meanwhile, has found out that the tribute is babies. Buffy needs to leave, but also needs to find something with which she can tie Ethan up. Joyce sheepishly draws out a pair of handcuffs from her coat. Buffy takes them, along with issuing a stern injunction to never tell her the details. (laughs) At the hospital, the babies are gone. Giles manages to half-remember some information about Lurconis and his presence in the sewers. This is the scene with this this great accent work as the two halves Mm -hmm. of Giles' personality struggle with each other. Snyder wants the others to go, and he'll stay behind, and Giles taunts him, but Buffy intervenes, telling them that she needs grown-ups, that there's no room for mistakes. She tells Snyder to go home, but by the time she turns around again, Giles and Joyce are kissing. Beneath the streets of Sunnydale, a group of vampires in robes anoint the babies as Trick and the mayor look on. The mayor makes a phone call about sewer maintenance and public works, but when Buffy appears, he flees immediately. If we have to skip over one part of mm-hmm. the plotting here, it really is this part. <laughs> How does Buffy find them in the, you know, capacious uh, sewers beneath the streets of Sunnydale? We've already established that, that mm-hmm. incredible communities and entire monsters can live in the sewers under Sunnydale. Yes. And here we have another place. How does she find them? So swiftly. Well, it is possible that the mayor left behind a trail of antibacterial hand wipes. (laughs) And she just followed the trail. There There it is. That's perfect. (laughs) (laughs) You shall know him by his trail of discarded Purell bottles. Perfect. Buffy battles the robed vampires and Giles and Joyce save the children. Buffy stakes two vamps, but when she kicks one of them into a pool, a great rumbling begins. A CGI snake demon emerges from the depths and eats the vampire. Buffy faces off against Trick, but Giles intercedes and Trick throws him into the same pool too. Buffy breaks the gas pipe, lights the plume, and burns the demon alive as Trick escapes. In the mayor's office, Trick offers a different perspective on what has just happened. With Lurconus destroyed, the mayor's off the hook as far as tribute is concerned. The mayor concedes the point, but warns Trick that he ought to be careful how many favors he does for the mayor. In the hall of Sunnydale High, Snyder, back to his old self, conscripts the Scoobies to clean Kiss Rock's graffiti off the lockers. (laughs) Outside, Buffy talks with Giles about the whole awful experience of having her world turned upside down, and oh no, wait, she's talking about the SATs too. (laughs) For now, she's going to cling to the hope that she'll be dead before college is a concern. (laughs) Joyce arrives to pick Buffy up. And there is an awkward exchange. Buffy is grateful that she interrupted Giles and Joyce before they actually did anything, though. Which she did. Totally, (laughs) totally did. 
Right. Oh, God. This moment when Giles and Joyce look at each other and then both turn away and walk off. Oh, yeah. Oh, that is the best. It is I great. love that. Yeah. And that is our wrap mm-hmm. on Band Candy. <laughs> a really fun episode. It is a, a really fantastic funny episode. episode yeah. A very energetic episode, but rooted in a plot that makes a passable amount of sense mm-hmm. for an episode of this tone. Sure. If this was the season finale, mm-hmm. you know, if we really wanted this to be purposeful and dramatic, then the the flimsy nature of this plot, <laughs> the excuse to have these characters act out in ways that they don't normally act out, yeah. would perhaps bother me a little more. But nah, this yeah. episode really works of a piece. It is a story unto mm-hmm. itself, and, and I really like it. I love Bizarro World stories. I love these <laughs> one-off, you know, we see everything from a different perspective. We have our characters influenced in a way anytime that they behave differently. Anytime people bodies or get anytime, amnesia. Yes, or <laughs> I love it. I love it every time because it gives us kind of a new angle from which to see this world that we love and these characters that we love. I also love the fact that it's funny that here we have moved into something that is predominantly, um, you know, a humor show that, but, yeah. Even within that, we don't. It's not the cheap kind of funny which we arrive at by breaking character, right, by violating no. our understanding. Nothing of these is broken. Mm-hmm. All of the humor here arises from the characters, and some of it is powerfully poignant. You yeah. know, I talked about the darkness at the heart of Ripper mm-hmm. and how great it is that the show never retreats on that. He yeah. is just a thoroughly unpleasant guy, mm-hmm. which is is very powerful for our understanding of you know real Giles. Yeah. But we also have these few tender beats with Joyce when mm-hmm. she is regressed. Yeah. We have that wonderful line that she has about you know her marriage and her and being mm-hmm. a mother yeah that now she feels like she's waking up again mm-hmm. and that gives us more insight than everything we had from Joyce in the entire second season Absolutely. about what it is that she's going through about mm-hmm. the situation in which she finds herself about the weight and the <laughs> it's a it's a pointed word in Buffy I guess but the burden yeah. of being a mother mm-hmm. this is more expressive more vulnerable and and more deserving of our empathy absolutely than pretty much anything we've had from Joyce today. she's written as a character we see the world through her eyes yeah. and we see her you know having this wonderful opportunity to be able to shed all of that responsibility you know being a single mom and all of that stuff that she's been dealing with not to mention being a single mom of the vampire slayer exactly. which is a whole other thing entirely i mean that's a tough thing to deal with and, and being in, unable to to help right. to, to meaningfully contribute yeah to yeah. that um let me ask you this question mm-hmm. then as, as we move on to the the talking point segment of our yes. show let me ask you this question which of these statements best expresses the theme of the piece? <laughs> a, violence breeds violence. B, all things must end. Or C, all systems tend toward chaos. All systems tend toward chaos, baby. <laughs> Absolutely. <laughs> well, that's interesting. I guess, hmm. I'm not sure that I agree with that. You don't think so? No, I don't think that's what we see from, from Buffy as a whole. Mm-hmm. I think, okay, I honestly hadn't considered this seriously. Yeah. But in Buffy, systems don't. Move are you talking about this accord. episode or are you talking about Buffy as a whole? Well, even within this episode, systems do not tend toward chaos. Mm-hmm. Systems tend toward order. Disruptive influence is necessary to, to cause chaos. None of this stuff would have just happened. Mm-hmm. There's nothing inherently chaotic to community, to society, to mm-hmm. the natural order of things, I think, in the Buffyverse. Mm-hmm. Generally speaking, we move toward order and peace and it takes people like Ethan Rain to stir things up, would you say? See, I feel like the 
the need to be a vampire slayer, the need to have a vampire slayer battles the essential nature of chaos that is out there and it brings order. I think order is something that you have to put effort in in order to maintain, which is what Buffy is constantly trying to do. So you see Buffy as a warrior of order versus the forces of chaos? Uh, to a certain degree, yeah. It's interesting. I don't think that, that Buffy as a show is particularly interested in order versus chaos. I think it's more good versus evil. I mean, yeah, we're, exactly. we're dealing with the nature of evil and with the nature of good because and, and where those gray areas are. Oftentimes Buffy embraces chaos mm-hmm. as a means of exerting good. I'm not even sure that within the Buffyverse we have, I mean, <laughs> I guess you could look very pointedly at this episode, right? Yeah. That the mayor is the force of order, mm-hmm. but he is certainly not a force for good. Yeah. That Buffy, by constantly breaking the rules, you know, the, the mm-hmm. social rules, the, the pseudo-legal rules of the school, and the actual legal rules of the society mm-hmm. in which she finds herself, she is constantly breaking rules in order to affect a greater good. Right. I don't think that Buffy, um, as a whole, really comes down one side or the other on, you know, what order, the, order the associated with good, yeah. yeah. Or, or you know, chaos associated with evil. I think that yeah. Ethan Rain is an instrument of chaotic evil. But I don't think that that necessarily, I think that there's, I don't think that Buffy has a particular, um, a particular thesis that, you know, order equals good or chaos equals evil. I think that those are different, you know, forces no, it, it, it at work in different in fact, places. Yeah, yeah. It clearly mm-hmm. doesn't have a, a, or if it has a considered thesis, it is, eh. <laughs> <laughs> it I think is. it, it order plays and chaos with. actually have nothing to do with good exactly. or evil. Or even, you know, to, to kind of take it down from that archetypal that archetypal level, mm-hmm. it has nothing to do with desirable and undesirable. Exactly. It has nothing to do mm-hmm. with, you know, pleasant or unpleasant. Both order and chaos can be turned to good or evil right. ends because the manifestation of order and chaos is really just the exercise of power. Yeah. And power in the Buffyverse, while one must beware the temptation of power, mm-hmm. and it often comes with a price, it isn't inherently... I think good or evil is that no it is it uh, it's all about the choice it's yeah. all about the choice of the individual to decide how they want to wield their power um and i think that that is something that the buffy the, the entire run of buffy sort of uh, contends with throughout yeah no i think you're yeah. right one quick kind of i guess plot element yeah. that had me a little confused buffy jumps immediately to the idea that the candy is cursed yes do you think the candy is cursed in the buffy sense of the word or is the candy drugged? Is there, let me ask you this. Mm-hmm. Is there a magical component in the candy regressing people to their teenage selves? Or is there a, I guess you would say pharmaceutical a More component? pharmaceutical thing. Um, I would say that Ethan Rain tends to work in the curse. I think that his, his, uh, his specialty is, is supernatural. Mm-hmm. Um, but at the same Particularly time. Particularly that kind of ritual magic that we saw back in Halloween. Absolutely. But the, the ingestion and the effect of these uh, of these bits of candy, I think, do sort of lean toward the chemical. Yeah, they certainly mm-hmm. seem to. Yeah. I'm not sure where I come down on the apparent uh, addictive quality of the chocolate. Yes. It seems to, you know, people seem to crave Giles more doesn't and seem more like a guy with a sweet tooth, but he really went into that. Yeah, I'm just not sure whether there was something... There is something about the chocolate, about mm-hmm. the, the whether cursed or, or, or tainted in some way. There's something about this chocolate in particular that is addictive, and mm-hmm. that is a means of delivering more powerfully the curse or pharmaceutical effect. Mm-hmm. Or if what is actually addictive is the rush of feeling younger, yeah. of feeling carefree, mm-hmm. that, that that is what they want more of. Though it is interesting that 
we move back and forth on exactly how much candy we want. Mm -hmm. Because when Giles and Joyce leave Giles' home and they go out looking for fun, they don't go looking for candy. Mm -hmm. You know, they're drinking, they're smoking, they're... they're, uh, Breaking into stores and, yes. and stealing <laughs> Beating just up police coats. officers, but, yes. <laughs> yeah, right. But they're not primarily motivated by the candy. But it does seem, to a greater or lesser degree, that Snyder is at least... Well, but then they're at the warehouse. They're making out at the warehouse. And Joy says, I want candy. So maybe something did draw them so I think that I think that while they're under the influence of the high, they were doing great and having fun, drinking and smoking and having a good and time. And then once it starts down, to yeah. wear off, they went back for more candy. Is there a meaningful metaphor here about drugs or alcohol or you know a a more mundane means of arriving at a state of irresponsibility i don't think that there's a big statement here i think that this is just using the the candy as a as a mode of getting where we need to go with the story as the mode of having the the transformation into bizarro world you know i mean that's that's our doorway through which we get to bizarro world but i don't feel like there's a a statement or you know any kind of message here about you know dangerousness of drugs or anything like that no i'm mm-hmm. i'm inclined to agree yeah. it would be very easy to make this episode into that kind of very special episode of buffy yes. mm-hmm. and we'll talk in due course about how buffy handles episodes mm-hmm. like that uh but i don't feel that there's a direct applicable metaphor here i don't don't feel uh, let me put it this way there's obviously applicability it's easy to look at the candy in this episode and say Mm -hmm. yes that can represent drugs or it can represent alcohol or it Mm -hmm. can represent you know any number of 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 things which lead to irresponsibility, nature of mind alteration yes absolutely Mm -hmm. while that is an applicable metaphor i don't think it's a purposeful analogy i don't think so i think either. the story works on mm-hmm. its own terms without necessarily making that reference explicit yeah mm-hmm. and i like that a great deal I so do let's too. talk about the big thematic point here mm-hmm. let's talk about maturity and responsibility mm-hmm. does it work for you this episode as an interesting exploration of that theme as well as being you know funny and charming and well-written and and enjoyable in the moment yeah mm-hmm if this episode has a greater theme, it is obviously the theme of responsibility and maturity. Mm-hmm. How does it work for you in that realm? Does it have interesting things to say about <laughs> about maturity? Um, I think that, you know, one of the things that we have throughout the run of Buffy is this, or at least the early run of Buffy, is this idea that she is constantly pushing against these forces that are trying to make her behave more responsibly and, and not have any fun and not enjoy herself. We just came off of Homecoming, you know, in which she is just trying to get away from her responsibilities as a slayer long enough to enjoy one, you know, classic high school experience. So here we have a situation where all of a sudden all of the forces that she has been pushing against while she's trying to, you know, enjoy enjoy herself as as a kid as much as she can are suddenly gone and she is thrust into the role of the adult she is thrust into the role of the person putting the pressure on others on Giles on Joyce to be more responsible and to be an adult and to step in and do what must be done and Buffy like I think all adolescents is pushing against the boundaries less because they are particularly odious in and of themselves, but mm-hmm. more because they are just boundaries. Because they're there. That we see this subtle shift from Buffy. Sometimes she will push against her slayer duties because she wants to be a normal person. Mm-hmm. Sometimes she will push against the strictures of her normal life because, because she, she wants has to be, to be a slayer. slayer. <laughs> Absolutely. You know, but no matter it's, what, it's, we've she'll got rebel that. against whatever you've got. Is what right. I'm but saying. what we're seeing is that we have to have that pressure. We have to have that tension between because as soon as they come over to her side, this playful, ah, oh, you know, whatever 
whatever. I'll write you a note. Forget about it. You know, um, she moves into the role of adult. Yeah. You know, because she has to take over because these things have to be dealt well, with. Well, this is what she said. We need yeah. grownups. Yeah. That's mm-hmm. that's the thesis of the show. I right. Think. So that yeah. I can be. It's like this whole thing that you and I go through where you, you know, you're the one who's reasonable and adult. And I'm the one who says, let's get a dog. Let's get a puppy. You know, I get I only get to sort of play that play that up because you will be the the adult and let me be the silly little kid. And likewise, you get to be the adult when I say, hey, we should do a new podcast. Exactly. And then I say no. Hey, I want to do like three more podcasts. What do you say? There's that wasted hour right. between 1130 at night and midnight. When we could do another podcast. Well, I, th- I think we could fit another two right, podcasts right, in there. Right. But it's, it's you know, I mean, sometimes having somebody who will who will play that role makes it makes the other side able to to be a little more fun, to be a little more yes. loose with the responsibilities. Mm-hmm. Yes. And I do think that that's a compatible theme. I mm-hmm. think that that is a theme that is resonant with the heart of Buffy the Vampire mm-hmm. Slayer. I think there is a particularly resonant note there, yeah. which is this idea of of responsibility of maturity being an earned thing. You know, we've mm-hmm. talked extensively about Buffy's treatment of guns right. and how Buffy treats guns skeptically because they are power without, you know, without the proper training, without right. the proper arming. Unearned know? power. Unearned power, mm-hmm. exactly. And here I think we see that unearned freedom yes. is also costly is also mm-hmm. dangerous is mm-hmm. also you know something that you shouldn't necessarily right because desire. instead of running with it when giles and joyce are finally like you know we're partying and having a good time go and do what you want that's when buffy steps up and becomes the adult and says no we have to do these you know yes yeah it's interesting that we we have this idea that without that guiding moderating force maybe that's the maybe that's the the thing that proves that mm-hmm. the buffy universe does actually tend toward chaos <laughs> is that without the moderating force of being adults right without joyce kind of tutting mm-hmm. <laughs> the world would slide into into chaos very yeah. rapidly mm-hmm. it is interesting there's there's some thematic stuff that i don't feel connects just just quite precisely enough. Mm-hmm. The, the big one for me is the car crash, the, the right. damage to the car. Mm-hmm. Buffy is driving like a lunatic through this episode and it has no consequence because she is hit by a driver it's who is not under her the fault. influence of What happens is not her fault, right? It, right. The, her driving like a lunatic is basically just for the joke of it. But it's, it's a very... It's a very conspicuous and well-developed joke. I mm-hmm. mean, Buffy is driving erratically and at great speed with apparently the parking brake still on. <laughs> when she when she drives right. away from the bronze, she does it with uh, yeah. spinning wheels and a screech of tires. Mm-hmm. But there's no consequence for that. Right. There's no mm-hmm. consequence in the more kind of mundane civil sense. You know, apparently there are still some cops who haven't fallen under the influence right. of the candy in Sunnydale. Yeah. In the very simple and mundane sense that Buffy does not have a license and it is illegal for her to be driving right. as well as being profoundly unsafe. Uh-huh. We don't meaningfully deal with that mm-hmm. at all. In fact, all we do with that is play it off as a joke toward the end. Right. Mm-hmm. When Joyce excuses the damage because it happened in the pursuit of, of you know, right. the fighting of evil. Mm-hmm. And it bothers me that we don't tie that up thematically just a little tighter, that we don't, that we don't link it to, to what's going on, you know? I feel like it would be so much more powerful if Buffy crashed the car mm-hmm. because she couldn't handle the responsibility of driving. She couldn't handle this responsibility that right. she hasn't earned. If we tied that unearned responsibility in with everything else that's right. going on in this episode, I don't... I can see where you're coming with that. And I think that, yeah, that I, I, I'm not sure that there's space for 
dealing with that thematically at this point it basically does just become the joke i think if you have the instead of her having her Mm -hmm. hit by the driver right she just loses control of the car going around a corner and and it doesn't have to be serious she crashes into a fire hydrant but it is her because the fact that it's it's not her fault fault at the end yeah exactly but that there is a consequence for her taking this unearned unearned privilege this unearned you know power um yeah i can see that that i think might have been a better way to to get where we were going that that we use that moment to kind of solidify this idea about you know responsibility and uh, that there's a good reason why joyce doesn't want her to drive um and then we also end up you know playing off this willow is very very nervous for good reason as opposed to you know when (laughs) by the time buffy has this accident it's just not her fault yeah you know she's t-boned it is not her fault in the classic version of not my fault um so uh yeah i don't know at I, I can see where you're going, and I think probably yes, but it doesn't bother me that it's done no, the way and, that it's done it because should, we have so much in this episode no, that is so tight is, and that pays off so well. This mm-hmm. is an incredibly you know granular critique because, because when you're talking the board, about Espenson, the is just so great. That's all you got. Yeah. You got to pick on the little things because there's nothing else there. Because there's yeah. really nothing else. Yeah. There. yeah because mm-hmm. as a piece of fiction, it's an incredibly it's enjoyable so tight. 44 minutes yeah. mm-hmm. of. of TV and yes, Jane Espenson will go on to do things in the future that are more dramatically significant. Absolutely. Than, oh my God, mm-hmm. she has an enormous, you know, facility with depth and, and emotion, and real emotion, and, yeah, and real consequence. Mm-hmm. And that isn't what this is. But this episode being light, being comedic, yeah. isn't a failing in the writing. It's no. clearly a purposeful statement. Mm-hmm. We set out to have fun in right. this episode. That's what in this, a way this that, episode does what it says out to do. Absolutely. Mm-hmm. And I think it achieves that across the board. Yeah. I don't think that you would lose anything from having the car crash be Buffy's fault. Right. And from including a coda with Angel that mm-hmm. would drive that plot forward. But really, besides those two those things, those are tiny little very, points. Very little yeah. mm-hmm. that you can, you can criticize this right. episode for. It's a great episode. Speaking of which, yes. where shall we put this self-avowedly great episode? On our list of every Buffy episode ever. I honestly would put it uh, just under passion. I would put it at number three. I would put it way up at the top. It does exactly what it sets out to do. It is written incredibly deftly. The story is told beautifully. It's funny. It moves along the stories that it needs to move along. Um, It has wonderful thematic lines going through it. Um, It's just a good time. And when when you talk about an episode that would you come back and watch it again, I would watch this again every single day. I love this episode. Um, (laughs) So It is great. So you're talking about putting it third on the list uh, right after passion becoming part one and part two and passion are episodes that are also really tight really taut but also have these like huge incredible emotional moments now band candy compared to that um doesn't have that it's not no. supposed to that's not what it's trying to do but i think for, that because it doesn't have that deep emotional impact well, i would put for, it down a little bit context more, but, and yeah. comparison mm-hmm. probably the most readily equatable episode of Buffy mm-hmm. was Halloween, I think. Yeah. It's an Ethan Rain story in which yeah. people will, you know, play different parts. It's funny. We we go into a bizarro world. Exactly, right. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Halloween is number twelve on yeah. the list. So there's a big gulf there yeah. between Halloween and where you would put band candy. Absolutely. I have to say, as much as I enjoy Band Candy, and mm-hmm. I really do enjoy it, I really love Jane Espenson's work. I really love the performances in this episode. It is scripted just beautifully. At a very fundamental level, this is not what I go to Buffy for. This is not, for Mm -hmm. me, what Buffy is when Buffy is absolutely at its best. Mm -hmm. So it has to, it has to be, you know, pushed down the list just a little. 
mm-hmm. because of what I love most about Buffy. But I honestly wouldn't slide it down far. The argument for me is, should it be above or below What's My Line Part 1 and 2? So I, okay. I'm really, All right. I'm right so you're very you. close I'm to where right I am. Okay. Mm-hmm. I, I would feel uncomfortable putting it above I Only Have Eyes For You okay. because I Only Have Eyes For You is one of the most yeah powerful and devastating episodes of it television is. particularly mm-hmm. in its oh, final God. movement oh yeah the way that i only have eyes for you it doesn't just build a beautiful story mm-hmm. it lands it with mm-hmm. such devastating force yeah it does i can't in good conscience put this fun fresh witty perceptive beautifully written but ultimately disposable episode of buffy above i only have eyes for you okay I would argue whether or not it goes. I'm comfortable with it with it being better than Prophecy Girl. I'm comfortable with uh, that too. Is, I think it's better than What's My Line. I think it's much better than What's My Line. It accomplishes in 44 minutes more than what What's My Line it accomplishes in, in 88. Yeah, um, and that's saying a lot. I mean, What's My Line is good. It's very good. It's, it's very, really good. It, but like, I feel like we are. But what here. we're doing now, though, is we're moving into this this higher tier of writing quality oh, that we get in season tier. three. Yeah. We're, we're taking it up a notch at this point. So I think a lot of the season three episodes are going to end up being higher than episodes that were really high in season oh, two, sure, sure. you know, because uh, yeah, I would, I would say I could go down as low as number four on the list. And to put it under, <laughs> to I put only it have between, I only have eyes for you. And what's my line? I'm very comfortable. Okay. With I think yeah. we can do that. I, I only have eyes for you really is the standout exception for me. It is. I, I it is so much. Conscience. There's so much good there. No, I can, I can definitely understand. And that understand really is that. reflective mm-hmm. of, you know, my personal tastes yeah. in Buffy. I like Buffy when it is being, Buffy. I like it when it is when it is ripping your heart and, yeah, out and stomping honestly, on yes. it. Yeah, absolutely. No, that is what Buffy does really, really the one well. One shot episodes are always going to rate a little more yeah. low on the scale for, for me. Yeah, but just the deafness with which this is put oh, yeah, together. Yeah. It for me, and and this is what is going to happen with every Jane Espenson episode. Uh, I absolute barnstormer I just, of a debut. Yeah, a I mean, for a debut, this is the first one yeah. she even wrote, and she has such a command of these characters and uh, to be able to write these characters not in their ordinary setting, but your first time out, you're writing them in a bizarro world. I love that, and I think and it just says think, so much about her, her grasp of these characters. Yeah, to think that she's just shown up. She's going to yeah. have 22 other credits or co-credits uh, on know, scripts and Buffy the Vampire run. Slayer. That between Jane Espenson, Marty Noxon, and Joss Whedon, yeah. those three people are going to be responsible for almost half of all, all Buffy. the content in Buffy. Yeah. That's astonishing. And they're so good. That's us, and we they're are so just good. getting and started. And I mean, the others are, are good too. There's no real slouches, you know, in the no, but episodes th- those three yeah. are, are, have the way more scripts yeah. Yeah. <laughs> under yeah. their belts than any other they writer do. is going to have. They really are. When you think about the definitive mm-hmm. voice of Buffy, they are those the are the three defininers. writers that I think yeah. of. Yeah. Yeah. Mm-hmm. So I'm very happy with okay. it being their fourth on our list. My God, that's that's a high score for that. Really candy. is for for a one off episode. Yeah, that's and with no like big emotional you know make me cry moments nope. in it. That yeah, is how that's much huge. we enjoyed it. Yeah. Next week on Dusted, we are going to look at episode seven of season three, Revelations, written by Douglas Petrie. Ooh. That's a big episode, you guys. I like Doug Petrie, too. So, Things yeah. start mm-hmm. moving next week. And it's amazing to me that we are progressing our major plots as swiftly as oh, we are. Yeah. Suffice mm-hmm. it to say, if you, I don't know, haven't seen Buffy before or haven't seen it in quite some time, do not go anywhere, anywhere, excuse me, for mm-hmm. the next three weeks. 
because we have Revelations, then Lover's Walk, then The oh, Wish. Oh, man. Serious, serious Buffy serious the Vampire stuff. Slayer. And oh. a lot to look forward to. Let's take a very brief spoiler zone okay. after the music All this right. week. There's not a great deal to talk about, but mm-hmm. there are one or two things that we should address. But besides that, we are done. A short episode this week. All right. There's only so much you can say about when Band you're Candy. Just Most of it is. It I is. love it and I, I love, love it, Jane Espenson yes. and I love it. It's pretty good. <laughs> Guys, thank you so much for listening. If you would like to help us do this crazy thing that we do here at StoryWonk, then you can do so by heading on over to our Patreon page, patreon.com slash storywonk. That's P-A-T-R-E-O-N dot com slash storywonk. We are closing in on our next stretch goal yeah. at the time of recording, which is to offer full commentary tracks for the 1995 BBC adaptation of Pride and Prejudice. Mm-hmm. Speaking of Pride and Prejudice... <laughs> We just announced this last week our brand new Storywonk seminar, which begins in the middle of June. I am going to look over the course of seven sessions at Pride and Prejudice, Jane Austen's incredible, bright and brilliant classic of romance, mm-hmm. of class, of, of courtesy, of politeness. It's, it's a brilliant book, of course. We're going to study it in depth together. I hope that you will stop by storywonk.com and find out how you can take part in that seminar. That seminar, like so much of the work that we do here at storywonk.com, will be available free of charge to you, the listener, thanks to the generous support of our patrons. So if you have a dollar a month to spare, then please head on over to that Patreon page and pledge your support today if we make it to the stretch goal after the next stretch goal mm-hmm. we'll be doing double dusted That's two right. episodes of dusted a week by the time that we hit angel at the end of this season that is coming up fast i know we're gonna be there before we know it i know thank you so much to everyone who has already pledged their support you guys are amazing you have absolutely blown us away with your generosity and you really do make it easier for us to to do this crazy stuff yeah. which we love doing it <laughs> works out well for everyone everyone plays everyone wins that is it for this week we'll be back next week with revelations if you want to get in touch in the meantime, you can email podcast at storywonk.com. You can call our voicemail line 252-505-WONK. That is 252-505-9665. Or you can stop by the Storywonk forum at forum.storywonk.com. Thank you so much for listening. Until next week, I'm Alistair Stevens. And I'm Lonnie Diane Rich. And this is Dusty. So two things, I guess, coming out of this episode. Yeah. The first being Giles and Joyce. Yeah. And the consequences of their romantic entanglement. Mm-hmm. Those consequences are almost none. Not much. They sort of have a you know a slightly romantically awkward uh, you know situation from here on out. Whenever they're in a room together, you always yes. sort of have a, a hint of the memories of band candy kind of floating in the room. This but- episode, though, is responsible for one of the most absolutely emotionally devastating scenes like hurt per second of show the scene after joyce dies yeah where giles is listening to cream he's listening to the the Mm -hmm. the journey of ulysses or whatever that that track is Mm -hmm. he's listening to it and oh my god i mean to do that on top of everything else we're going through at that point is just phenomenal but yeah it's the, it's so sweet and i mean it is is hints of things that could have been yeah. you know um because i think that joyce and giles you know would have made a nice couple but i'm kind of glad that they never went through with that because i don't know there's something about these two parts of buffy's life that need to be separate there is um 
I don't think they would have been able to resist it mm-hmm. if Joyce had been around until the end of the show. Yeah. Um, and it is vitally important that Joyce not be around so that we can start to apply that full parental Absolutely. pressure to Giles by the time we reach, mm-hmm. you know, season six yeah. in particular. Yeah. Um, there's so much there. It, it's such a rich and beautiful relationship. Mm-hmm. Um, and a lot of it, a lot of the complicating factor, yes, yeah. is, is foreshadowed here. But for all that we love Joyce and Giles together, and for all that there is going to be that tension, this is pretty That's much pretty much yeah. it. Yeah. The other thing that really stands out in this episode is a big, big snake demon. Snake demon. There we go. Big hey. snakey demon. Yeah. Um. And the mayor, you know, we're going to see involved with big snakey demons. <laughs> <laughs> involved with in <laughs> or perhaps the most evolving into evolving into. There yes. you go. Yeah. 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 It really did remind me that um, CGI effects in 1998 are not what they are today. True, but you know, for for what it was, it was effective. You know. Yeah, Lurconus is not a great you know, demon presence. And of course, well, this harkens back even further back to, uh, you know, giant snake demon in, uh, in Reptile Boy. Reptile Boy, yeah. Mm-hmm. So we're, we're going to continue to deal with snaky demons emerging from, from the bowels of the earth beneath Sunnydale. That's going to be an ongoing theme, really. Yeah, demons without personality that are animalistic and that yeah. just come in to feed. Um, They're just representative forces. Right. And we're going to move toward that, I think, with the mayor. But we haven't even really started. What we really get here, I think, far more importantly than the foreshadowing of the big snake demon. Yeah is, of course, his connection with demons of all sorts, mm-hmm. with the, the pacts that he has made and the interest right. he has in these these Faustian bargains, mm-hmm. and, of course, with his big closet of, of magic tricks. Oh, yeah. Interesting mm-hmm. that we get no faith at all in this episode, and no mention yeah. of her either. Yeah, it is kind of interesting. I, because this uh, episode is so packed, with yeah. everything. I hadn't even really thought about how Faith is just not there. She doesn't have a role to play. <laughs> in an episode in which everyone is is transformed into an id-fueled monster, yeah. Faith would be entirely superfluous. Faith is superfluous. Because that's the role she that performs is her whole in every thing. other episode. Exactly. She gets the, the week Empire. off because, yeah. Because <laughs> we'll have Ripper <laughs> fill in for you. Yeah. yeah. We, we just have so much to look forward to. And of course, mm-hmm. I, I said, you know, in the main body of the show, that the next three weeks, Revelations, Lover's Walk, yeah. and then The Wish, oh, yeah. is going to fundamentally shift our understanding of what Buffy is as mm-hmm. a show over mm-hmm. the course of the next few weeks. And I cannot, cannot wait. Oh my to God, this is stuff. such a tremendous season. Uh, season three ranks highest on a lot of people's lists oh, yeah. of all yeah. seasons of Buffy entirely. And um, so, yeah, it's, it's so much fun to be kind of at this level now. It's like we've been working up toward it in the first two seasons yeah. and now we're just at this level of writing that is is going to take off for the rest of the series i'm so excited oh it absolutely is and we're going to you know move back toward uh, a more medium mm-hmm. uh, quality of buffy albeit you know medium for season three which is exactly still high. which is still fairly high episodes, but then we'll right. start to pick up again and and we haven't even you know begun to approach the very best of what buffy has to offer Mm -hmm. i can't wait to get to it guys thank you so much for listening i know that these spoiler sections may seem a little thin considering what we have coming ahead of us you know what we have that we could possibly talk about but we want to save it to talk about it when we get when we get there right Mm -hmm. there's going to be a lot of conversation ahead thank you so much for listening though we will be back next week with more until then bye